It's good. All right, let's get going. So uh, <clears throat> every once in a while, I, I head upstairs, and uh, it's a little bit scary, uh, my upstairs. My kids are up there, and that's not why, but um, I find myself in the attic every once in a while. And in my little attic room, there's a, a couple very specific uh, large bins. And in those bins is a compilation of my mother's scrapbooking of my life. How many of you guys have scrapbooking moms, okay? Or fathers, which that can be somewhat strange. Um, so every once in a while, when I'm kind of wanting to reminisce, I'll go up to one of those bins and I'll get out one of those scrapbooks. And the amazing thing about old pictures is it simultaneously has the opportunity to, to do two things overwhelm you with great joy and depress you, you know? The joy comes in the memories that the pictures portray, and the depression comes mostly in, I used to look like that. What happened to me? Right? So I found a picture I want to share with you. Um, Now, (laughs) I'm not sure what happened to my teeth. Look at my teeth. It's like lightning has hit them. They're bright. In case you don't, don't recognize me, I'm on the far right, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm the far left. You guys are like, man, he's really changed. Now, there's a lot of important things about this picture. Many of you guys don't know this about me, but I was the lead singer in a rock band in college, okay? And uh, we were called Blitz. This, pic- this picture is taken at one of our concerts. This is all the people that were there, okay? So... <laughs> After the concert, we all gathered and we took a picture. Um, now, these are all my college buddies. <clears throat> I want to point out a couple things. Uh, how about the old school peace sign right there in the middle, right? <clears throat> That's when flashing the peace sign in pictures was really cool. Like, it, it instantly made this picture in- insane. You, you got to love the strobe light in the top right there. That was uh, part of our stage lighting. Uh, we were a high production band, as you can see. What I really want to bring attention to is my pants. Now, I know that's a strange segue, but listen to this. When you're a rock star, um, you have complete liberty with your wardrobe, all right? And uh, right before this concert, I can remember, this is 12 years ago, right before uh, this concert, I remember thinking, you know what? I've always longed to spray paint pants silver before. And so what I did, those right there, you can see them down low, those are my silver spray-painted pants, right? And I rocked them, and, and for at least one night in my life, I was a legit rock star. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the rest of my time is uh, trying to be that again. But those are my college buddies. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, that picture brings back a lot of fun memories. Uh, it also, like, makes me think, I put on a few pounds, I think. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, so, you guys can laugh. It's okay, you know? Uh, I think he's had too much tombstone. You know what I mean? Um, It's one thing to talk about a picture. I'm scared. Take that down, please. Now, it, it's one thing to talk about a picture of 12 years ago. It's another thing to, to talk about. <laughs> Andrew and I have been working together for six and a half years, so he knows me well. It's one thing to uh, think about it in terms like it's another thing to talk about a year ago. One year ago tonight, April 18th, 2011. Here's what I want to ask: What's the biggest difference about you from one year ago today? You start thinking about your life and all the things that have happened. What's the biggest difference? Let me ask you another question. Would any of you say you're the exact same person from one year ago today? Right? Of course not. If you did say that, you're an idiot. Like, you're, no one, none of, you, none of you are the same. We are constantly changing beings. And what's so interesting is pieces of us change by the minute. There's... Aspects of our thoughts that change by the day. Our worldview at times changes by the week. And yet, as changing as we are, it really brings the opportunity to make this statement. There is nothing in the flesh, nothing in the flesh that does not change. Nothing. Everything is changing. Well, the problem arises when we're around and are, everything that changes if there's one exception to that, if there's something that's different than that, it's really, really hard to understand it. 
In other words, if we are constantly changing and if there's something that's not, can we just agree? It's really hard to understand that thing. And I would even say this uh, more so than that. It's really difficult to relate. We're always changing, morphing. But if there's something that's not, it's, it's hard to understand it and hard to relate to it. But just because it's hard to understand and just because it's hard to relate to, it doesn't make it not true. Are you guys with me? And there's a powerful, powerful truth that I want to bring us all in as very changing beings to what the Bible talks about, something that doesn't change, something that isn't changing, something that will never change. And so if you thought you came tonight for a night of pomp and circumstance and Christian high fives, you're here on the wrong night, all right? I'm super excited and encouraged about this word, and I pray that you take the journey with me. Whether tonight's your first time, welcome, or whether tonight you've been journeying with us for six and a half years. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 and let us rock and roll, all right? Three verses tonight. We have four weeks left in Hebrews, then we'll move on to a new book. I hope uh, all of you guys are going to miss Hebrews. It's certainly been a great journey for me. I've enjoyed every second. Last week, we focused on a Christ being our great helper, which is good news tonight. Amen? Right? He's our every helper. Without Him, we're nothing. Tonight, we add three very poignant verses, starting in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 13. When you're there, say, I'm there. Thank you very much for the inflection. Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Powerful passage and amazing text. And it all starts here in verse 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I have to be vulnerable right off the get-go tonight. I really struggle with this verse. Every single one of us have been in a context where there's a leader communicating God's word. You're like, oh no, I haven't. You're here now. I'm a leader, now I'm going to communicate God's word. And so all of us, whether tonight's your first time ever in a church, or if you're like me, you grew up in the church, We've always had or have had leaders communicating God's word to us. Well, my problem arises is that this verse tells me to imitate those people's faith. Problem is, I know some of the leaders that have stood up and communicated God's word, and I should not be imitating their faith. They have been men that have taken advantage of a situation They have been men that weren't rightly called. They have been men that were not humbled under God's grace like they should have been. And honestly, I initially look at this and I say, like, how can this be true? Just because you're a communicator of God's word, just because you can stand in front of people and hold a Bible doesn't mean that your faith should be imitated. Can we agree? Right? So what does it mean then? What does this communicate? Well, that brings us to my obsession with war films. Anyone else? I love war films. I'm a big fan of movies like Braveheart, okay? Movies like uh, The Patriot, any Mel Gibson movie where there's fighting in war. Um, I love Band of Brothers. Any fans of Band of Brothers? Amazing. Okay. Gladiator, certainly a very... Now... My obsessed personality with war films has caused me to do some crazy things. I told a few... Did he kill someone? No? All right. Um, I watched a movie called We Were Soldiers several years ago, and some of you guys know this story, but I I found uh, an interview of the general that that movie is all about. His name's Hal Moore. Mel Gibson plays him. Great movie. And what I realized... I'm so obsessed with war films because the battlefield exposes great and weak leaders. And in life and death situations, you do not want to be led by someone that is weak. You see what I'm saying? And so instantly in these war films, you see the weak leaders emerge because it makes everyone else insecure around them. And you see the strong leaders 
come out of the riffraff and show themselves because everyone's like, listen, we feel better when you're around. So I'd seen this interview, Hal Moore. He's a, an old man, which I love older men. That sounds strange. Work with me. Um, and, uh, and so I decided one day to try to track him down and call him. General, a four-star general, one of the most decorated in our history, was the leader of our first battle in the Vietnam War, lost 79 men in that first battle. And when he got home, he and his wife traveled the entire United States visiting every single family that uh, lost a child in the war. You want to talk about a great leader. He's also a man of faith, book written about his journey with Jesus. So I called him up one day randomly, uh, said, hey, uh, this is uh, Pastor Mark Sikma. Uh, who, who, he's a little bit hard of hearing. Uh, who? And, and, uh, and, and I was like, you know, this is General Hal Moore, right? And I don't know if you've ever talked to a general before on the phone, but it's pretty stinking awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you're like, this may be the coolest moment of my life outside of seeing Jesus. Anyway, um, so I called him up and we talked leadership and got to hear his perspective. And really encouraging. We talked a few times, but I tracked down uh, something that he wrote on leadership in uh, this magazine called Armchair General. Uh, <laughs> This is the closest to being a general that I'll ever be, right? Like the armchair magazine. This sits on my bookshelf, by the way, up in my office. So for those of you guys, and a diaper coupon just fell out of it. So uh, you guys can help yourself to this later for those of you guys that have kids. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Believing that perseverance in the face of adversity is a key to effective leadership, both on and off the battlefield more often declares, I love this. Three strikes and you're not out. He is convinced that there is always one more thing a person can do to solve a problem. The initial solution doesn't work. Leaders should not give up. Rather, they should roll up their sleeves and find one that does. I don't know about you. Anytime an 80-plus-year-old man says something like that, I'm like, I love that dude. Because that's a dude who is speaking from experience. That's a man who has fought some wars, held men as they've died. And that's a dude that I would say I want to follow. I think one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to war heroes like this is I realize how important leadership is in terms of the battlefield, World War II, Vietnam, and the wars go on. But how much more significant it matters who you're following in terms of Christ. Life and death on the battlefield is one thing. Life and death in the scheme of eternal nature is a whole other thing. And so I feel like I'm so obsessed with the war heroes because I recognize I'm in a life and death battle right now. And it drastically matters who it is that I'm following and who it is that you're following. And so I just want to first say this. We've all followed faulty, failed, flawed, drastically miserable men and women which has caused some tension and burden in our heart, haven't we? So we're burnt on that a little bit. So what I want to do with you is discover what it means to be a biblical called pastor and elder, okay? Who are these kind of men, biblically, that we're to remember, verse 7 says, that we're to imitate their faith, That's, uh, the, the scripture says, that we're to follow their lifestyle. Who are these men? Well, First Timothy 3 lays out a bunch of characteristics. These uh, folks are to be above reproach. They're to be a husband of but one wife. Listen, I can't make that say anything else. I uh, sat underneath the teaching of a woman for four years. I'm not saying and making any chauvinistic statement right now. I love women. That also sounds weird. Work with me, all right? We love women here. It's not a chauvinistic statement. I cannot make 1 Timothy 3 say wife of but one husband. It says husband of but one wife. Men are called to pastor churches. Now, I know there's an argument right now, well, that's just a cultural thing. Well, if you want to make that argument that this is a cultural issue, then where do you stop? Was the cross a cultural issue as well? I think not. The Bible is written for our perspective and God's truth to ring forth. And so these are to be men. In fact, the pronoun that's used consistently through 1 Timothy 3 and Titus is he, 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 right? Again, it's a role issue. It's not a chauvinistic issue at all. Uh, These uh, men are to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, humble enough to sit under the rebuke of others, 
and say, you know what, you're right, I, I was wrong. Have you ever been around a leader that was never wrong? Have you ever challenged leaders before and all you heard from them was all their accolades and all the reasons why they should listen to you and all the things that makes them awesome? Listen, I'm really burdened by this because there are so many people holding Bibles standing in front of people that should not be. And I'm humbly coming before you to say this right now. There are four pastors in this church and if we ever not meet one of these, we will step down. And I know, like, like, if you're like me, I've been in churches before where men did not represent this and they did not step down. And you know what it created? A conundrum, chaos. A church in disarray. These men are to be uh, not drunkards, not violent, not quarrelsome, or lovers of money, and they're to manage his household well. I've told the church before, as my kids continue to grow older, if they run amok... I will step down. You want to talk about the pressure of following the biblical call of being a pastor. Listen, let me tell you this right now. This is serious business. Can we just agree? Serious, serious business. And if my kids are 15, 16, and because of my poor leadership, they're running all over there, how can I stand in front of a church and say, here's how we're to follow Jesus when my own sons and daughters aren't? Well, that, that, that's not what managing your household well means. That means putting a chore list up and checking them off and put little smiley faces when they follow your instruction. No, it's not. It means I'm showing my children and my wife the power of the gospel. And I'm seeing my household turn upside down before I ever step foot in a church. You guys understand what I'm saying? May I never hold a Bible and preach a word if I'm talking poorly to my wife in such a way that if you were a fly on the wall in my house, you would be like, and who's leading this? Now, that's one thing to talk about the characteristic traits. You're like, man, this is intense. It's just starting. Uh, What about the role of an elder or pastor? Who are these men? First of all, this may seem like it's obvious. Can I tell you how easy it is that this becomes a job? How easily all of this could just be study God's word and present it like a scholar or a teacher. Can I tell you how easy it is not to pray? I am called, the other pastors of of this church are called, and other pastors in all of our churches are called to be men of prayer And to communicate God's word. Are we together? That's our primary role. And added to that, and I love this. Please see this. Next thing is this. Shepherd the flock of God. Do you understand how easy it is to start hating people? I've had brothers of mine look at me and confess. Mark, I'm really struggling. I think I hate my congregation. And you know why it happens? Because sin is burdensome. And the more and more you hear it, it is so easy to begin to think that they're the problem and you're not also a part of it. Every single time that our elders in this church are together, we are pleading that God will continually break our heart and bleed out for our people. I desperately love you, and that's just not lip service. That's why some of you guys, you know, you kind of laugh every service, I say, love you guys. It's because I do. It's because I believe that I'm called as a pastor of this church to shepherd you, to guide you, to point all of us to King Jesus. And that's a humbling task. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of, yeah, but man, these stinking people, this whole thing would be a lot better if if they weren't, if they were perfect, if they were like me. I am a failed and flawed, redeemed man of God, just like all of you. Amen? That's the problem, my friends, with some other denominations or aspects of the church community that escalate a man. Man should not be escalated. God has called me to communicate His Word. That doesn't mean I'm better than a single one of you. We're all saints. We're all ambassadors. Are we together? I'm not a priest. There's one high priest. God just called me to communicate His Word. 
right? The third thing is he has to be able to give sound instruction in sound doctrine. That means I'm not called to stand up here week in and week out and communicate my thoughts to you. Here's what Mark thinks on this issue. Man, Mark's really, he doesn't like this whole thing over here. Or he, sound doctrine from God's word. What does that mean? Every single week you come here, you should not take my words on the surface and just engulf them. You should search it out for yourself. You should go home, open your Bible, confirm all the things that you're learning and processing with the word. And in every other context. What would happen if all of us would leave here every single week, Bible open, saying, God, continue to affirm what we heard tonight from your scripture. That's why we teach verse by verse. And I'm not standing up here being like, okay, so tonight we start a nine-week series called Fear Factor, you know? And here comes the snakes and the bugs, you know? Because then it becomes me and my thoughts speaking and the Bible becoming convenient for my topic. Are we together? That should never be the case. I'm simply a mouthpiece for the truths that are in this word. The Bible is never and should never be used as a tool for man. Right? It is our blessing and our truth to be communicated and sought out and learned. Next thing. I love this, man. Pastors, elders aren't just called to preach the word. Every single week, just preach the word, communicate the word, not self-help, not f- just the word of God. So here, here's what happens for me. Next, next thing. Uh, go back. To, uh, yeah, yeah, there, there we go. When I look at this list, now I start to understand what he's saying in verse 7. Because if it's just verse 7, I'm like, what are you talking about? How am I supposed to follow some of the men and women that have led me? I could not. But if... There are men in leadership that are these things. And if they are preaching God's word humbly, and if they are repenting and are embracing and shepherding people, then verse 7 happens, right? Look at verse 7 again. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If they are embracing those things, then their faith should be imitated, just like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Still have one more problem with this, though. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Many of you guys know we're a part of a network called Acts 29. Uh, If you look that up in your Bibles, unfortunately, you will not find it. Uh, There are 28 chapters in Acts. uh, Hence, Acts 29, kind of the continuing movement. It's a movement based on church planting. We've, as a network, planted nearly 400 churches. This past year, two of my brothers, pastors... The same role that I am committed suicide, too. They planted churches just like we had. What started to happen is it became a job, and this is all confirmed by their wives. It became a job. They stopped loving people. It was a paycheck. They forgot who it is that they were serving, thought that they were serving themselves. I bring them up to say, I should not consider the outcome of their way of life. You see what I'm saying? If I'm considering their outcome, if I'm saying just because they held the Bible in their hands that my life is to turn out like them, I say no. Instead, what should be happening is this, is what a called man of God, a leader, pastor should look like. Next slide. Here's, way, here's how I sum it up. A right view for all of us tonight of leaders or pastors or elders in the church. They are failed and flawed, redeemed children of God first. Still failing, still flawed, but called men of God. Secondly, they are called to exalt Jesus and diminish themselves. If there ever comes a time where you feel like I'm exalting myself, will you come and tell me? My role is to diminish myself, get out the way, preach the Bible so Christ can be exalted. Are we together? That's what's going to happen every single week. And if, it never, and if it doesn't happen, you come up and you tell me. And I promise you, I'll receive it in humility. Right after I punch you. Just kidding. <laughs> and diminish themselves while proclaiming His word. They bear fruit. 
Which the scary thing is, let's just be honest, none of you are with me. You don't live with me. Some of you are like, praise God, right? Well, okay, fair enough. You don't live with me or other pastors. So you don't know what it, how I lead my family. You don't know if this is all a show. Isn't that the scary thing, right? That's why, my friends, there should be fruit born that you see over time that breeds of genuineness and sincerity. And I sit back right now and just say, I and we need your prayer. This is a high call and a high task, and we take it very, very serious. And that's why when we do fail, we need to be quickly, to, uh, we need to repent quickly when sinning against God. And when men like this embrace their call, then yes, imitate that faith. Not as men or priests, but as men who are saying, come follow me, as together we follow Jesus. I'm just saying, I have followed a whole lot of folks in my life who have held Bibles and preached messages. And I pray that it may not be said of us that the folks who are in leadership were two-faced liars. I ask and plead that you will pray for us, that we will remain humble, that we will lead well, that we will love you and love people and love, most importantly, God And that the times that you see us aren't the times that we're praying. I was telling our leaders before we even started tonight. If this is the first time we were praying backstage, if this is the first time today that you sought the Lord, like don't even worry about it. If the fruit of your relationship with Christ happens in front of people, then then that's no relationship. Can we agree? If every single week all I do is just get by, get by, get by, and then on Wednesday appear fired up, I'm I'm a fake. And I want to stand right in front of every single one of you and say this. If you put your trust in me, I will fail you. Every single one of you. My trust is in Christ. Your trust must be in Christ. And the question becomes, well, why would God empower you then? Why would God call you? The same reason he called Abraham and Noah and Paul and Peter and David. So what? So they could show that they're not Jesus. He's called me to show you Jesus is way better. He's a better leader. He's a better teacher. He's way more loving and merciful. And so he's put men and women in positions, and in this case, in the pastor role, men in positions to show you Jesus is way better. And if every single week that's the message that you get, I say praise God. Are we together? Because then every week we just walk in and we say, all right, Mark, let's go. Let's preach the word of God so Christ can be exalted. All right, sounds good, ball game. Let's do that. This church is not about me or any other man. It's about King Jesus. So if there's any confusion from your past about following leaders, we can take this for sure. That here in this church, if we are not men that are leading in the biblical way, we will step down. And that includes me. So, okay. Okay, so are we done? Uh, No, um, no we're not. Actually. What an amazing truth. Huh? Come on. Now, this brings up a whole other topic for me, and I hope you don't mind. Uh, Christian Um, (laughs) t-shirts. The reason why I bring this up my very first Christian t-shirt ever had this verse on it, okay? It was kind of pink and purple, and, and, uh, and it had this verse on it. And so it caused me to think uh, how ridiculous at times a Christian t-shirts could be. Listen, um, if you missed the 90s and the early 2000s, you may have missed out on this. But if you were a Christian in that time period, guaranteed you rocked some of these shirts, so I went online and I found a website that um, took a poll of the 60 worst Christian t-shirts. <laughs> now, I'm not going to show you all 60, but I'd like to show you a few. Let's start here. Um,
Hey, hey. Someone wore that. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the crazy thing. Someone actually put that on and was like proud of it, you know? Dude, Air G, like that's, you know, probably wearing Jordans too. Next one. I like this one. This is for the gangsters here in the room. To be the man, you got to know Jesus because apparently that's what a man looks like right there. Camo hat, full beard. It looks like he's got a cig in his mouth. Tattoo of, of Jesus, of course. I love this next one too. Uh, <laughs> Because we're really trying to, I mean, they're really trying to be creative. And it's not that Jesus doesn't clean us with his blood. But does anyone feel like this kind of cheapens that truth a little bit, right? Like the precious blood of Christ, which has ransomed us out of our sin, and all of a sudden we associate that with Mr. Clean. Last but not least, for those that didn't have enough cookies. Um, there's a whole line of Christian t-shirts that just take brands of food and like change the rhetoric, right? I saw another one that said Facebook instead of Facebook, right? And Jesus is in MySpace. I'm just like, seriously? Okay, I'll take that down. Thanks. Here's the, here's the problem with powerful truths. As Christians have this propensity to take something that is so simple and almost make a mockery out of it by displaying it in such a way that the depth of what is really being said could never fully be said because it's put on a graphic or a shirt or a sticker. And I sit back and look at verse 8, and I say, there is no way that can ever be put on a t-shirt and the weight and the power of what's really being said in that ever understood. If Jesus is this, then this is what that looks like. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, next slide, then this is what that looks like. It means he's 100% consistent, always was, always is, always will be. And when we're talking about Jesus here, we're talking about the fullness of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Consistent. The same. If that's Jesus, then this is man. And this is the thing that's really damning for us. Like, if Jesus is that consistent, then wouldn't you just agree that's what your life looks like? Constantly changing. Constantly morphing. And sometimes it's slow and gradual change, and other times it's immediate. The moment you have kids... Many of you have experienced it. Some of you will. I mean, it's not real, man, when it's still like cooking in there, you know? Because it's still you and your wife, and you can still go to Applebee's, and there's no kid with you. The moment that baby pops out, for lack of a better term, right? I mean, everything changes immediately. Our life is forever changing. Many of you guys have experienced tragedy. Good friend, loved one, has died tragically. You've experienced some other form of tragedy. You know everything changes instantly, immediately. So in those moments of immediate change, what do you got? What are you leaning on? I mean, if you leave it up to yourself just to get through, it won't be long until you're back on this road that's absolutely chaotic. So I sit back and I say, listen, I want to know and understand the deep implications of what it means that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Anybody else? So here's those implications. Next slide. The first thing, I love this. The validity and weight of his teachings are always relevant. But Mark, you don't understand. I, I just, I don't understand. I, I, when I open the Bible, I, it, there's no way it can possibly be speaking to my situation. If that's true, then he's not the same. If that's true, then his teachings 2,000 years ago, out of his mouth, still do not hold relevance. If he's the same, then that means the same teachings to the Pharisees and the disciples and the crowd are all extremely relevant. 
And you're like, yeah, yeah but, but, but how, like, how could that possibly work? He's made the relevant. <laughs> He's the God of the relevant. And so certainly all of his teachings find themselves relevant still today. Second thing is this. We're so burned by people. Project our problems with people on God. People have said a lot of things to you, made a lot of promises. I'll do this, I'll never do that. And because they perpetually fail you, you think there's no way God, there's no way God could keep them. If he's the same yesterday, today, forever, that means the same promises he told Abraham, he's still fulfilling. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, who can do that? Only our God. Is anyone else just getting excited a little bit? Like when I, when I read the Bible, and I read the precious promises that the scripture is packed full of, my heart cannot help but be stirred by the fact that the mouth of God promised things and the scripture says those words will never return void. They have to be fulfilled. They have to come through. And I can guarantee you this, there isn't one promise or prophecy in the entire Bible that hasn't happened or won't happen. He's never lied. His words have never been slanted, my friends. That's what makes me say number three. Listen to this, and I, this may seem like the University of Redundancy University School. He is who he is. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's just who he is. You and I, we have identity crises all the time. Who are we really? I'm not sure. What am I going through right now? How is this changing and morphing me? Isn't it? encouraging to know that in the moment of your tragedy and all life changes immediately that you can rest in someone who has and will never change that the same God who said listen I'm loving and merciful to David is the same God who's saying that to you today on this side of the cross that is a great God he just is who he is he told uh, many in the old testament I am there's no other way to describe me don't ever try to describe yourself as that, right? Someone says, so tell me about you. I am. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying what do you mean? Don't ever, don't ever say that. I love this last one. It's not that, it's not that he, he, he like, he's the same. It's that he doesn't have to change. Because he's perfect the way he is. Let me say this. Isn't it crazy that an unchanging God is doing much to change you? Isn't it powerful to think that a God who doesn't have or need to change because he's perfectly loving, perfectly righteous, perfectly faithful, a perfect judge, he can't get better. But in your heart, he grabs it, is gracious, and says, come and follow me. Be more like, like me, and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. What a God who's unchanging and comes down and is changing and morphing us. And I know for some of you, you walked in here tonight, and you're like, I'm in desperate need of change. Look no farther. Your search ends at Jesus. You're like, yeah, but, but Mark, it's th no, th this, thing, this thing over here, there's no possible way anything could ever happen. Oh, yeah? Talk to all these people in this room who thought that very same thing, and then God came in and said, watch me do my work. You see what I'm saying? He is the God who's still performing miracles, mostly in our heart, who's taking the same people who thought there's no way God would ever do anything in them. I mean, they are so far gone and just at the moment you think that he says grace and boom and you're like how did this god right he's the same yesterday today and forever and so his point in putting this in the rhythm is a uh, man is failed and flawed but he's the same so any man who's pointing to himself guess what has created his own gospel and should stand condemned and judged it's a weighty call for communicators of God's word. But any man who every single uh, time he communicates God's word 
It says, God, break me at my knees that you may be exalted is sitting with sound doctrine because that's the doctrine of the Bible. Man, me, every other communicator will change, but he never does. And that's what we can rest in tonight. Now, he goes one step further. So first, an encouragement. Second, a powerful truth. And then a warning. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. I've always wanted to put that just on a, on a single screen like that. All right, sex, let's go. There are many people who would stand and hold the Bible or many books in a Christian bookstore written about this subject people who are communicating about this subject. And just because they seem or claim authority by quoting a few verses, by saying a few nice pleasantries that tickles your heart or your ear, we are so quick to take it as truth. I ran a half marathon kind of once. (laughs) And at the half mile mark, I was already dehydrated. Okay? True story. I was thirsty. And so... All I could think about the whole rest of the time was Mountain Dew, knowing that would quench my thirst, you know? (laughs) But you know, if you've ever been dehydrated, if you've ever been dehydrated, that moment you actually get water or Gatorade or something on your tongue, isn't it amazing? Like, I mean, you just want it to be a fire hydrant pouring in. That's the way truth is. It tastes amazing. The problem is, where are you getting it from? He's warning against listening to diverse and strange teachings because there are many out there. And you're like, oh, he claims to be a Christian and he's talking about sex. That's a great combo. The problem is truth is right here. And my friends, it doesn't take much for it to not be biblical. But the problem is in our laziness and lack of due diligence, we find ourselves doing what? Just taking people at their word instead of seeking the word and affirming it. And so we'll pick up a nice book because it's got a beautiful picture on it and it's a bestseller at the Christian bookstore. Surely if it's in a Christian bookstore, it must be right. Oh, really? Do a research of heretical books in a Christian bookstore. There are many. Because truth, my friends, is such a thin line. It tastes so good, you just better be making sure that you're drinking from here. That's why Jesus says to the woman at the well, when you drink of my words, you're never going to be thirsty again. You drink of all this other truth, guess what? You'll find yourself dehydrated the same day, the same moment, because it doesn't really provide. So this isn't the only moment in Scripture that the warning against false teaching is uh, prevalent. Let's move on from sex. Hope for no more sound chaos. Acts 20. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, There's many times in the Bible where we're called sheep. You want to know why that is? Because sheep are idiots, okay? (laughs) We like sheep have all gone astray. You know what a sheep will do? A sheep will sit there, and they'll watch their buddy. That was a horrible bop. They'll they'll sit there, they'll sit there, and they'll watch their buddy eating. And they'll just sit there, and they'll watch it. I'm sure this wolf is not going to come and get me. That's That's what sheep do. So look what he's saying. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. This is happening all over, all around us. There are men twisting things. There are men saying, ah, what about this? I I, I think actually it's this variation And we're so quick because truth tastes so good just to say, I bet you're right because you say you're right. He goes on to say, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I was there bleeding and pleading with you, weeping, saying, believe this truth. Do not go after all of these self-seeking, conceited communicators that are trying to pull away the disciples. Remain and abide in Him. He goes on to say and add a great warning. I love this next passage in Timothy, or Titus rather. Titus 1 verse 10 says, 
For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. That just feels weird. It's like, it's like another political party all of a sudden. Ron Paul is of the circumcision party. And I don't mean that in a weird way at all. Uh, what he's talking about is, is there were some that were still preaching and communicating the old covenant. Under law, not under grace. So that's what he's talking about. There are many still communicating that. Look what he says in verse 11. They must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. I want to speak to fathers in the room and soon to be fathers or one day to be fathers. Who do you think is going to teach your children sound and right doctrine? Who's going to teach your kids what covenant and what salvation and what spiritual gifts are? Is that the church's role? I think not. Certainly we'll do that. But that, as fathers and husbands and soon to be in one day in this room, that is your role. So that when your kid goes to college and sits underneath the first liberal professor that says the scripture is errant, that it's false, that there's pieces of it that aren't true, he's not sitting there saying, oh yes, professor, you're so good. He's saying, no, that's not what the Bible says. My daddy taught me well. And more importantly, my heavenly father confirmed in my heart that the Bible is true. And so I don't care what you say, professor, who has some awesome biblical degree, quote unquote. My God is way more professor-like than you. And I know many of you guys sit underneath liberal professors right now. And it's so easy just to think because they have a big, you know, stash or glasses that they're awesome. I was uh, listening uh, to a, a woman share, a young lady in our church community, how she just like finally stood up in her class. And, you know, she said, maybe I could have done it in a better way. But, but she, you know, finally stood up and was like, all this stuff that you're saying is not true. It goes against the Bible. You sound nice up there, and it sounds like you're reading from a textbook, but it's not true. I ad-libbed a little bit there, right? Like, what, what will happen, men, husbands, fathers? Whose responsibility is it? This is what was happening. Families were being upset. Why? Because people were coming in and teaching false things. And you, my friends, are so easily swayed because truth tastes so good. And I say this, until you are hunkered in God's word, how are you going to combat it? How are you going to know what truth is? That's why we value discipleship here so much. Let's take a one-on-one -on -one relationship and teach covenant and salvation and creation and biblical truth. And let's firm that up. Why? So when someone random at a coffee shop is throwing out flippant truths that, that they're claiming to be all-knowing, that all of a sudden in loving, in loving grace, we're able, even in our mind, whether we say anything or not, even in our mind and our heart, we'll just say, that is bunk. It's not exalting Jesus, it's self-serving, it's comfortable, it's heart-caressing and tickling to the ear. Are, are we together? But if, my friends, you're not hunkered in the Word, then what do you got? Oh, I think I heard sometimes someone say uh, that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Yeah, that's true. That can't be your answer to everything, my friends. It, it can in one sense. But when someone says, so hey, explain biblical covenant. God is good all the time and all the time, you know. <laughs> Tell me what biblical sexuality is. God is good. He made sex, and that's awesome. And all that, you know, it's... We need to be students of the Word. Are we together? I, I, I cannot communicate that more. And when I say students of the Word, it's men and women who really believe that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that creates in you an awe of Him that longs to know more of Him. I'm not advocating tonight that all of you just, you know, make your checklist and say, all right, tomorrow I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm praying more that God will change your heart and stir your affections for Him that you could see Him as God tonight. That's, that's my prayer. Because those people, they can't stay out of His Word. Right? So go back to uh, verse 9 one more time for me. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, my friends. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, not any other kind of supplement which have not benefited those devoted to them. Have you at least seen that? Can you at least affirm that truth? But there's nothing else that's benefiting man. The only thing that's benefiting man is the words from God. So I want to encourage you guys with a few last things. First, leadership is incredibly important 
in terms of who you're following. It matters so much who you're following. And the whole picture of both verse 7 and verse 9 is that men will fail you. You put your trust in a man and a priest. You put your trust in some, uh, someone who their faith seems to be admirable. Ultimately, their faith is only admirable because of the grace of God bringing all glory back to Him. And so the whole focus of this whole text is exaltation of Jesus. That's why I have this really, really good picture in my mind. I picture you and try to picture this with me. You're in a room all by yourself. And, and it's kind of lonely. You're there for a while. But then at one point, the floodgates open. And all of a sudden, that room gets very, very crowded. And all of a sudden, that room is filled with people and filled with voices. And I can picture it right now in my mind. And there's one thing that's being said by all the voices. And that phrase is, come follow me. Come on, come follow me. This over here is going to taste way better. It's going to be better for you in the long run. Come follow me. Come follow us over here. This is going to... This is going to benefit you. You have to trust us. And all of these things, and you can feel the pull. Many of you guys feel it right now. You feel the pull like your limbs are almost being pulled out of socket because the temptation is so great to follow so much. And then mentally, I have this picture that amidst all of the voices that are all trying to steer you in their own way, there is one. He says, come follow me. And that one voice, and only that one voice, is the voice of an unchanging, merciful, gracious God, who when he says, come and follow me, you have to understand, he then calls you a kid, his son, his daughter. He provides worth. He forgives your sins. And he will never lead you astray. And if you spent any time following the other voices or other leaders or other cultures or other groups of people, you've learned this. They've led you astray. There have been so many times in my life where people or voices saying, come follow us or come follow me would have led me completely astray. Anybody else today? Anybody else? I've shared this story before but my senior night of a high school football Six of us dudes. They, the dudes knew I, I never drank in my life. We went out to this campfire. Probably a bad start to the night. Hey, we're going to have a, a camp. You know, we're going to camp. A, I don't like to camp. B, camping in high school means let's get sauced. Right? And, and so I'm there. Is that right? I don't even know. Is that? And so I'm there with my buddies. These six guys that I surrounded myself with. And guys, the pull all night. Was come on, Sigma, no one's ever going to see this. Like, like, look, we have access to all this. Just indulge, just go for it, please now, come on. Like, are you serious? Aren't you our friend? I mean, you guys have all heard this stuff. If you were really our friend, if you really loved us, and then what starts happening, right? Then they get six, seven, eight in them, and then guess what happens? Then it becomes a counseling session, you know? Oh, Mark, I'm so sorry that we're drunk around you. You guys have been around this, right? And then the temptation even gets worse because they're like, come on, just have one to make us feel better. You take that example times my life and times your life. Those are the voices that are out there. And you know, anytime you've ever followed them, they've always led you astray, always. But there's one voice, one voice amidst all the others. When he says, come follow me, he's leading you somewhere. And where he's leading is a place of grace and love and comfort and forgiveness and healing, and please hear this, restoration. And so I sit back from all this and just ask you guys right now, who are you following? Are you really following him? Is that the voice amidst all the others that's really captured your heart? Or right now, have the limbs been pulled out of socket because you're trying to satisfy all these other things and leaders and voices that are saying, come 
follow me? Who are you following? And the amazing thing about grace is that right now is the time of repentance. Right now is, I don't want to follow anything else except you. I know you're the same. I'll know you'll never lead me astray. It's you I want to follow. So cry out to him. God, please help me. Help me turn from all these things and listen to your voice. I really want to follow you. Why don't you guys stand with me real quick? Paul writes some encouragements to his young disciple, Timothy. And this is a reminder for me of who I'm following, and I want you guys to hear this. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Listen to this. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. God is merciful. He's merciful. That's who He is. That's never changing. His mercy is present right now. And that you deserve death. But He has said life is possible. That's mercy. Then look at this. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He's faithful and He's loving and He's gracious. That's who you're following. You deserve death and you're not getting it and you don't deserve life, but He gives it. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Listen to this. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Anybody a saved sinner in here? Like, I know that's who I am. And the promise and the trustworthy saying is that that's why he came into this world. To save me and you from the pit of hell and destruction and our own despair and demise. He's pulled us out. That's why we call him a savior. Because the dead are made alive and the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. And that is an amazing God. He says, He came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. Listen to this. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. In other words, He saved you. To show you how much men need Jesus. So that your friends and the world and all of us look to one another and say, Man, men are failed and flawed. But when God does something with them, oh God, thank you for who you are. That's why Paul only knows to do this. To the king of ages, he says. And he begins to worship here. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's all he's got to say. If this is really who you are, God, then all I have to do is to worship and praise you. That's it. I'm done. All it. You are really who you said you are. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so to you be all glory and honor. And so I ask you, is that the God that you're following? And if so, what a God, huh? So let's sit and bask in His presence and say, Lord God, help us follow You. So Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters that we would celebrate the saving work that You've accomplished in so many here. And I pray, God, for your saving work to continue to manifest itself in hearts right now, God, who came in here desperately needing it. 
God, I believe in your saving power that by your grace you can change lives and forgive sins and heal hearts and restore people. And I pray that happens right now, God, that people call on your name. We just say tonight, God, that you're the only God. You're the only voice worth listening to and the only leader worth following. Help us believe that tonight, God. Increase our faith, Lord. God, help us repent from putting faith in men, God. Help us trust in you. For you are the only God.